0: Hey listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey lemon pepper wing from Popeyes. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on too. Head to Popeyes and get 6-piece honey lemon pepper wings for 5.99 at participating US restaurants. Price may vary. This is The Busted Open podcast you can listen to the full show monday through saturday from 9 a.m to noon eastern on sirius xm fight nation channel 156
1: welcome to the busted open podcast this is dave lagreca on today's episode the innovator of violence the landlord of the house of hardcore tommy dreamer and i do chris jericho's greatest hits that's right we have a podcast dedicated celebrating the career of Chris Jericho, his greatest moments, his greatest matches. Tommy gives his top 10 moments in Chris Jericho's career. I give the top 10 matches in Chris Jericho's career. And also, we have a 30-minute sit-down with the man himself, the Ayatollah of Rockerola, Chris Jericho, right now. On the Busted Open Podcast. Uh, Tommy, I wanted to give my list of the top 10 greatest Jericho matches, in my opinion. So if you don't mind, I know you have your list of greatest moments. We'll get to that. We'll get to Chris Jericho, and we'll definitely get back to the very, very busy phones. But I have my list, and I wanted to go through them because I watched each and every one of these matches again last night. I kind of had my rough draft. I switched the order around just a little bit, but I went back and watched them again, and again pure magic. At number 10, I mentioned Bully. Bully just called in. At number 10, I have the four-way tag title match when Benoit and Jericho were tag team champions against the Dudley Boys, the Hardys, Edge, and Christian from SmackDown of May of 2001. Going back and watching that match again, Tommy, a phenomenal four-way tag match on SmackDown.
2: Yes, I don't remember it, but uh, there's I don't remember a bad Jericho match. Yeah. And the fact that that made your top 10 list, like, honestly, like I'm trying to, th- I think we could, it would be harder to press in 30 years, a give me five bad Jericho matches. Cause I don't think they're, they're out there.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to give the rest of my list. And an interesting one, number 10 is a match from 2001. Number 9 is a match from 2018, and that's the match that he had with Naito at Dominion when he became IWGP Intercontinental Champion. Number 8, just from a a year ago, you know, a, a little over a year ago, Cody. AEW full gear when he defended the AEW world championship at number seven. I have Naito again at wrestle kingdom 13 a no DQ match when Naito became into IWGP intercontinental champion at number six, Rey Mysterio at the bash in 2009, nice. another match for the intercontinental championship at number five, A lot of people forget about this match. To me, it was the match of the show at WrestleMania, and that's the match he had with CM Punk at WrestleMania 28 in 2012. It was the stipulation if even if Punk, you know, was disqualified, he would lose that WWE championship at number four, Chris Benoit, the latter match at the Royal Rumble in 2001, again, for the Intercontinental Championship. And one thing I realized when putting this championship, uh, you know, this top 10 uh, list together, Tommy, how many ladder matches Chris Jericho is involved in? I mean, you talk about Kings of the ladder, you might have to put Chris Jericho on that list at number three from WrestleMania 19. The only match on my list that wasn't a championship title match. And that was against Shawn Michaels, WrestleMania 19 back in 2003 uh, in Seattle. Amazing matchup between those two. Number two, Again, a match from just two years ago. Think about that. We're talking about a top 10 list in 30 years of his career. A match that just from two years ago. And that's the match with Kenny Omega at Wrestle Kingdom 12 for the IWGP US Championship. And then that number one. A lot of people will probably disagree, but this is my number one. And again, it's a ladder match, 2008 for the World Championship. For Shawn Michaels again, that when they're having that tug of war and like Chris Jericho is just pulling on the championship, like just letting his body go, like it's like do or die with that championship in his hands. Again, phenomenal. Just again, a phenomenal list for me. The greatest matches, like you said, there are no wrong answers, but those are my top ten, Tommy.
2: My definition of a perfect match was Kenny Omega versus Okada for the title. And then when they had Jericho come in and face, that match was better. And it was better because I knew, and and Bubba had said the same thing, you're going to get a different type of more storytelling, but the athleticism and from one which was just a perfect pure wrestling match, like a Randy Savage, Ricky Steamboat, Jericho did it better. And the fact that you're naming, like you said, he's had so many matches. I'm trying to think, like, I used to put together, uh, I used to VCR tape everything. And then I would keep matches that I would want to save so I could go back and watch them through the years. And I had two different tapes or my taping style, just like when I used to first buy the wrestling magazines for the sake of buying the wrestling magazines. Then I just bought them because if there was a picture of me in them. The same with taping wrestling matches. If there were wrestling matches that stood out to me, I would want to watch them go back and either steal spots or just enjoy them when I like to throw in a VCR tape. This was back when that was, uh, you were able to do that. And there would be a bunch of, because this was around ECW time, there was a bunch of WCW matches with Jericho and anybody. They were just because he was that good back then. I remember when he came to ECW and when he came to ECW, we joke about still the advice that I gave him um, because he just did something and he was like, right, right. And he went on to be like such a bigger star, but there was greatness in him in ECW. I remember it was one of the first times I saw a a standing top rope powerbomb from one of the pit bulls. And it was just so, so impressive. And I remember two Cold Scorpio standing up and doing a, as they're going, he did a Frankensteiner in midair from the top row power bomb and did it. And then Jericho kind of did the same stuff or even his, you know, the fact that he's going to be 50 and could still do a moonsault. Uh, you know, the Asai moonsault springboard off the top or a springboard drop kick, all vintage stuff. But then if you also think of moves that he kind of got over, because I would joke with him, be like, hey, when I'm on the indies, I know it moves are over because of the top guys, the codebreaker. He got that over. And now think of how simple that friggin' it's a back elbow, is his finish. And, you know, or the, the walls of Jericho, which was a Boston Crab and been around for years, but it's different from the walls of Jericho, uh, the lion tamer, how he used to uh, put it on you. But think of the fact that he has gotten, he doesn't have a bionic arm. He didn't break his arm where he has a plate, but he got a back elbow over as a finish. And it's the most simplistic move. And yet it's the guy's finish. And when he hits it and he only hits it once and it's beating people.
1: Go ahead, Tommy. The floor is yours. All
2: right. This is a moment that in time, none of us really knew, but you can't start about your great moments until you start about your beginning. And it was October 2nd, 1990, Chris Jericho's debut against another, I would say Hall of Famer, Lance Storm. And if you think about the two careers, I don't know if they're ever, And I wanted to pose this question to the nation. Is there ever been two wrestlers that had their debut match together that ever had such great careers against, you know, in that debuted against each other? I think that's Mm. very, very, I don't think so. And also the fact, and this is a, I don't know if this is a well-known tidbit, but uh, I'm a Jericho-holic. And I know that both Lance and Chris want to have their last match together. And though Lance is pretty much semi-retired, uh, but they want to have their last match against each other as well, which would be a great way to sum up a career for Lance. I think that would be easy for Chris. I don't know because I don't know when Chris is going to hang it up. And the fact that they worked at different places, there's an opportunity now, but I don't think we're going to see Chris Jericho retiring anytime soon. I was blessed to be able to book that match in 2005 for UCW one night stand. And it did not disappoint. Now, Dave, this has just been a little bit of a different list. I know you had matches, and at first I was told, like, that's what we have to do. But I can't think of great Jericho matches because they're all great. So I wanted to think of great Jericho moments. That's why I went with my number 110 was his debut. But number nine, I will talk about his debut in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And why I say that is because of what then happened. I remember, and this is before the internet, there was a buzz about this tag team called the Thrill Seekers. And it was Chris Jericho and Lance Storm, and they were this big buzz about this tag team. They were going to be the next great tag team. I also remember when Chris Jericho broke his arm in a match. I also remember this great bloody brawl that Chris Jericho was involved in. I never have watched, nor to this day, one single hour of Smoky Mountain wrestling because I was doing an ECW. But yet I knew about Smoky Mountain and I knew about their really big moments, and that was because of. Chris Jericho. Number eight, I would say his debut in Japan. Why? Because he kind of paid his dues in Japan, working the FMWs, the wars, then being in, in the the J cup, the super J cup. And then eventually, you know, it's like you lay your, your, that is a different culture, but it gets you recognition globally, but as well as like, you're learning all these different crafts. And then those fans remember you forever. It's almost like if you played minor league baseball and a diehard uh, baseball player will remember where you played kind of like college football. And then when you make it to the new Japan and which he did, but they don't forget about what you did in the earlier days. And also being a part of those sold out houses and big crews on smaller shows is why that made my number as number eight though he wasn't there for a long time, but his debut in ECW. And again, the reason why I picked it, it's because he's had so many moments in so many different companies. It's hard to just pick one. So that's why I just talk about his debuts and all these, because then it's his influence that he had. And yes, he quickly captured the TV title, but Chris, you knew was going to be something big. And also what he did for ECW on his way out the door was always very, very professional. And then he also kind of helped get this one wrestler named Lance Storm in the door, who then also helped this one guy named Don Callis get in. And it's all these different little things that Jericho does to help get, yes, getting your friends' jobs, but also it's putting your name on them. And if you have someone help endorse you, and look what they did for those companies known as ECW. And that's why that's number seven. And now, Dave, this may shock you. My number six is his debut in WCW. And why that was so important because he came in there and now we see him on a national level. And yes, he had that street cred of being in that ECW and he had that street cred of being, you know, in Mexico and Japan, but now we get to see him on a much larger stage during, now this whole Monday night wars thing is happening. And he was a big free agent signing from ECW to WCW and what he accomplished there. And we got to see the early greatness of Chris Jericho. and I know I think you know where I'm going on his number five, Dave. what do you think would be my number five would be?
1: I since you're talking about debuts, I'm thinking it might be his debut with the WWF. Am I right? Absolutely. See now
2: you're understanding my brain. His debut is perhaps the greatest debut in all of professional wrestling when he debuted into the WWE. but then We have been spending almost three hours talking about his great things that he has done in his career in the WWE. So this is why I'm summing this up. But if we're just talking about greatest, if we do a show one day about greatest debuts, how do you not debut Chris Jericho's debut at number one of all time, of all debuts into a company? And that's why that's my number five. And now, Dave, let's see if you could read my mind. Let's give you go old school Kreskin his number four debut would be?
1: His debut with AEW?
2: No, New Japan. Oh, you failed. <laughs> His coming back into New Japan. Why? Because he said he would never wrestle anywhere in, and uh, outside of the WWE. Then it was oh I wrestling. No, wait a never- second,
1: wait a second, wait a second, Tommy. You just said this is your your number your which this is your number four, correct?
2: I could have two fours, Dave,
1: yes. I I, I don't know, because the reason why I say this is that at number five, you just said his debut with the WWF was the greatest debut of all time. The greatest debut of all time. But now you're saying at number four, it's his debut in New Japan. So make up your mind.
2: Well, it was, because we're also talking about his body of work and how he reinvented himself. This is great moments. I understand. Okay. If we did a top 10 greatest debuts, that would be number one. I'm sorry, but please continue. Chris Jerick, And if you look at your list, you talked about so much of his New Japan stuff. Yes. But how, again, he went out there and reinvented himself and worked this more of a strong style matchup in Japan, became the champion and put a lot of eyes on that product. And then, David, now at mm-hmm. number three. His debut in AEW shocked the world. It wasn't with a whole bunch of fanfare in the sense of it didn't have the pyro, the rock wasn't standing in the ring, and it was more like a press conference. But when he walked out there, it put the exclamation point that AEW is not just these bunch of rebels named Kenny Omega, Cody Rhodes, and the Young Bucks. Whoa, they have a a bona fide Hall of Famer. And a, a top act from somewhere else has just signed with AEW, and he's going to be a main focal point of AEW. Now, this is where I kind of go back to how I guess these lists should be. Okay. I would say number two, winning the WWE Unified title. When you played that clip, I was kind of waiting to hear my good friend Howard Finkel say, and new," no! but he didn't because why it was the first one ever. And the fact that he beat the rock and Steve Austin in same night, but that kind of put him on the list in history as the first person ever to do that in professional wrestling. And that's why that is number two. Hey everybody, this is Fran Freshella, host of the
3: podcast World of Basketball. The game of basketball has truly become a global
1: game. Markovic buys it to make it somehow it goes in.
3: Each week, I talk with the players, coaches, and executives who have led the way in growing the game of basketball around the world. Real Madrid have stolen! from the jaws of defeat episodes are available every thursday on the sirius xm app pandora
1: and apple podcasts uh back here on busted open tommy dreamer giving your top 10 chris jericho moments of all time and now without further ado tommy dreamers number one. Oh man i had so many things i wanted to talk about before
2: this but you called me out so i gotta put it over Chris Jericho winning the AEW title is the number one moment. Why? Because I think of what older wrestlers have done to help endorse a company. I think of one wrestler in particular who's on everybody's Hall of Fame. It's Terry Funk. What Terry Funk did for ECW helped that company so much. It put us on the map. It gave us validity in a world where we totally needed it. And Chris Jericho did the same. And Chris Jericho did it in a world during the internet. Chris Jericho did it where everyone wants to criticize your every move. And Chris Jericho did it to perfection. And Chris Jericho was a great representation and a great representative of this new company and helped. And you think about when every wrestler who'd he ever beat or what house did he ever draw? Chris Jericho did that old 80s and 90s saying and did it in 2019. And Chris Jericho continues to redefine himself, continues to change the business, and continues to help and make this business better. And that's why I have Chris Jericho being the AEW champion and being that great spot for the company as my number one Chris Jericho moment.
1: Tommy, it's a great number one. And I love Tommy Uh – the comparison with Terry Funk. Like he talked about the credibility that Terry Funk gave to ECW because I know for a fan at the time, seeing Terry Funk in that ring in the ECW arena showed me that there is credibility to this company. Why? Because that's the same guy that I saw Matt wrestle. That's the same guy that I, I saw hold that NWA World Heavyweight Championship the 10 pounds of gold above his head. And there he is with ECW. Same thing with Chris Jericho. That's why it was such a great decision having him be in the title picture right off the bat because that's the guy that you've seen at WrestleManias. That's the guy you've seen main event at Madison Square Garden. That's a guy that you've seen hold world titles above his head. And there he is with AEW. That brings instant credibility. What an amazing comparison, Tommy, with Terry Funk.
2: Well, I'm really, really smart when it has to be. I've used a lot of big words today because Jericho has used big words. And now what I usually do is ruin all my credibility by saying something that I normally do. I cannot contain myself. When you talked about the bubbly, I was there that day and I ate from that tray of salami and that uh, I hate olives and I moved it all. So I think I was in there while he was wrestling because I was scavenging for food and I feel like I kind of ruined Jericho's party. But we got the list of bubbly. And then from your great, wiper reed when you talk blades and silicones. It brought me back to ECW because that's what wrestling was all about in the 90s. Blades and silicone, I'm so glad we have found a better use for silicone. Silicone now, instead of putting it in women, now we're using for wiper blades. What a great commercial read. See, I yield all my credibility.
0: Hey everyone, this is Lisa Ann, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, The Lisa Ann Experience. This is my chance to share with
3: you my experiences past and present, including how I went from living in the fantasy world of adult films to talking fantasy sports on Sirius XM. Each week, I'll introduce you to some of the people I've met on my journey, and invite friends on to help me breathe through the endless
0: ridiculousness that lands in my inbox. New episodes are available every
2: Wednesday on the SiriusXM app and Apple Podcasts.
1: And we bring in the great Chris Jericho right now, Chris. I know you know for somebody who's a, a frontman for Fozzy, I know this is a tough day for you. You know the passing. Of Eddie Van Halen, and and really quick before we jump into it, I just I just want to read something very quick, and this shows you like Tommy. We always talk about the power of pro wrestling, and and this is the power of music. Like I posted about the passing of Eddie Van Halen on on my social media accounts, and then somebody who I haven't seen, talked to, or even thought about since 1985, the year I graduated eighth grade, and he sent me this message. He says. I remember talking to you in the sixth grade about Van Halen. You introduced me to Women and Children First and Fair Warring. Not sure I ever thanked you for that. And I broke down crying reading that. That's somebody I haven't talked to in 35 years, but yet, you know, I introduced him to Van Halen and now he's reaching out to me after the passing of Eddie Van Halen. I mean, Chris, it really shows you uh, the power of music. You know,
3: it it really is. And it's just been such a... I know we can't swear on here. It's been such a crap year. I mean, any year that starts with with the Professor Neil Peart passing away and then Kobe Bryant, and then, like, you know, eight months later, Van Halen, like, fucking Eddie Van Halen. Like, are you kidding me? Like, can this year get any worse? And I think somebody said it to me yesterday. He said, oh, Van Halen was the music of my childhood. For people of our generation from 30 to 60, it was the music of America's childhood like Van Halen just the name alone conjures up such a, a a great vibe it's a party it's good times it's it's like if you want to put on some music when you have people over Van Halen is always at the top of the list they never had a bad song and you can get critical with this era or that era or anything mm-hmm. in between but it's freaking Van Halen man and it, it, it's such a drag like what a what a crappy year for so many reasons, and just compounded by the fact that we lose the greatest guitar player of all time and the epitome of what party music is.
2: Uh, hey, man, uh, last week we had a talk about Road Warrior Animal, who was a game changer right. in the tag team division. And, and I was given a very good quote, uh, and it said, and it helped me. And it said, Don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. And yeah. You got to be a part of that. Uh, So have I, so has Dave. And, you know, we're not guaranteed anything for tomorrow. And that's kind of like, you know, where my daughters would say happy tears. We should mourn your death. But like you said, off air, you celebrated by listening to some Van Halen and chilling in your room. And yeah, you're going to be sad, but also you're celebrating that person's greatness. And if I'm going to segue this entire show has been about celebrating your greatness and yeah. how you've affected not only your peers, but and the wrestling business. And you just started out as a, as a fan and as a kid. And uh, I'm great friends with you. I had Hurricane come in and we just went and sang your praises, not just as your friend, but as someone who's like we admire for their career, but and like you've changed the business so many ways. And that's you're blessed, man, because you get to hear it today. But you're also like, you know, even with Animal Man, we would all say shit like that to him. And this is a day about you. And I know, you know, we all want to be sad, but I'm kind of like a more uplift stuff. And I'm just, I'm happy to be a part of, and you've been in my life. So I'm just telling you that publicly.
3: Well, it's funny too. Like as soon as I came on and we're on Zoom right now, which is funny because I got my shades on because my eyes are red. uh, uh, Just from not sleeping a lot. As soon as I see Tommy Dreamer, his... Stardonic face just sitting there. It makes me smile. It makes me laugh. So uh, listen, I'm not one of those type of guys. We're all human beings. We all live and we all die. It's it, it sucks, but I will say this. On the other side of the coin, yes, it is a great day. It's been a great week of, of kind of celebrating this 30th anniversary of Chris Jericho. And the reason why it's important, not just to me personally, but as a, as a student and as a fan of the business, is take my own self out of myself. When you're talking about the career of Chris Jericho, I don't think you're ever going to see it again. Um, I, I'm putting out a book. The pre-sale starts tonight. You'll get the information on, on Dynamite. It might not be out for a couple months because apparently the Rona has stopped book publishing as, as you do. I don't know why, but I've kept a list of every single match I've ever had since October 2nd, 1990. And I still have the piece of paper where I wrote number one, Circle, October 2nd, 1990 against Lance Storm, Pinocchio Moose Hall, what the finish was, what the star rating was, how much money I made. And every single match I ever had, I wrote that down. So you're talking about a 30-year span of when the business first started, and Tommy can attest to this, you still weren't allowed to go over spots before the match. You still weren't allowed to talk to your opponents outside of the arena or in the arena. If you were seen talking to a bad guy and you're a good guy, you would get like fired or fined or whatever all the way up till now, up until today. So it really is cool to kind of see this history that I have coming from one generation to the next and I've been able to document it every step of the way. So I don't think you're ever going to see that again. And uh, in in that respect, it is a very cool night for me uh, after all these years.
2: What made you do that? For me, I do the same thing. Uh, I do the date I wrestled, my opponent, the where it was, the finish, and if I had a tag team partner. Um, so you've
3: done the same. You've kept a log of your matches. I
2: have every single match I've ever, ever.
3: You're the only other person I've ever heard that's done that. Really? Ever. Most my trainer that. told me to do that before well, my first you, match. I'll tell you why I started doing it. Because um, my first day of the Hart Brothers pro wrestling camp, Keith Hart was there. It's the only day we saw him. Um, after he collected our money, he split, but um, <clears throat> he said, do you have any questions? And he kind of explained what's going to happen over the next two or three months in school. And I asked him, how many matches have you had? And he was really annoyed. Nobody keeps track of that stuff. Why would you even ask that? And I thought to myself, that's really weird. Cause if I want to know how many matches, how many games Wayne Gretzky's played in, I can go to the library remember those kids and find a record book and look up Wayne Gretzky's played, you know, 1,516 games and all these stats. So I said, well, you know what? I'm going to keep a list of every match that I've ever had um, by hook or by crook, whether I have one or whether I have 2,722, which is what I have after tonight. Uh, I'll keep a list of it. And I did. And that's the reason why.
2: Wow. I don't know. know, I've never chronologized how many matches I've had, but uh, give me something to do now. But I if gotta If you write them all
3: down, then you can just go back and count them then.
2: Yeah, but the math is hard. I've had a lot of brain <laughs> trauma. One, two, three,
3: four, five,
1: six, seven. That's not math, that's counting. Um, yeah, use a calculator, Tommy. I'll get count blah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, Chris, I'm a big, I'm a big list guy. Like, I have like here, you know, Tommy gave his top 10 Chris Jericho moments. I have my top 10 Chris Jericho matches. I have my top 10 Fozzie. So huh. I, I I like to keep all that in order when, when you look at what you've done in your career and there's so much, because I'm talking about Fozzie, you know, behind me is the poster from the, you know, the first Jericho cruise, like there's, there's so much that you've done. Is there one moment match or, or anything that kind of stands out when you look at the last 30 years for you?
3: First of all, I have to go back and listen to this show, but send me those lists, Tommy's list and your list, Dave, and I'll put them in the book. That's pretty cool stuff. Um, it's really hard to say, you know, your favorite, what's your absolute gun to the head favorite. And before I used to say, uh, what's your favorite match? The match I had with Shawn Michaels for the uh, WWE world title ladder match in Portland, Oregon, I believe in 2008, October. That's one of them because it's a match that not only was a, a great match, a perfect match. It was the culmination of a 7th seven, seven month long story that was originally just supposed to be a one and done. It was supposed to be a one month story. And Sean and I were like, why are we rushing this? Neither one of us are doing anything. And we created this whole amazing, probably textbook, how to put together an amazing angle. Um, and if I still worked in WWE, I would suggest they do uh, you know, a, a special on it for the network, because it really was a textbook. How do you put together a great storyline? Um, Kenny Omega, the Tokyo Dome, January 4th, 2018. That was the match that a was my first match away from WWE in almost 20 years. B it showed what a draw Chris Jericho was because that match did an extra 15,000 tickets and sales and about an extra 30% in uh, new Japan world subscriptions and C. it showed Tony Khan that there was, uh, a a segment of a fan base who were looking for something different from WWE. It was basically where the spark of AEW began. So that was a big one. And I'll do another one um, with John Moxley, where where I dropped the title to him February 29th of this year, a mere 10 days before the lockdown. I thought that was a great story uh, with a great payoff and a great finish. But there's so many other ones that I can mention. But if you want to go for uh, Ultimo Dragon 1995 at the Sumo Arena, That's the match that got me hired in ECW and in WCW. I have to mention that as well. So there's quite a few uh, signposts along this Chris Jericho highway for sure.
1: Now, Chris, leading into you joining the show, we were talking to a lot of busted open nation members. We had a full bank of phones of people that wanted to chime in on the show about their favorite moments and their favorite matches. So Gabby, you know, our AP on the show picked who she felt was the biggest Chris Jericho fan. So we're going to have the biggest Chris Jericho fan now join the show with a question for you. So let's go out to one of our nation members right now.
0: Yeah. I'm just wondering if you were to throw someone into the corner and drop kick them where they have nowhere left to bump, would you consider that to be unprofessional?
3: The best part is he's trying to put on a nerdy voice, but he still sounds exactly like Don Callis. <laughs> Nothing's changed. My name is Don Callis, and I'm trying to be a nerd. I threw, <laughs> we, we were wrestling in a, in a bar called Bumpers that we still also feature strippers, um, and the strippers were probably much more entertaining than we were, but I threw the natural, the first match we ever had, into the corner, and I'd seen it probably – Maybe in Japan, this was very early on, maybe 91, 92. And I threw him in the corner. And I ran. And I drop kicked him in the corner. And he was like, Jesus, what are you doing? <laughs> and I also gave him a belly-to-belly suplex. And he'd never taken uh, one part of those before either.
0: Yeah, because that's this move you want to take in front of 11 people for no money. <laughs> I was trying to get rid of it, with get through it with no bumps. But, hey, that was you back then. There you go. Nothing's changed, kid.
3: The first time I ever out. The first time I ever met Don Callis was in the uh, locker room at Gold's Gym <laughs> by Polo Park in Winnipeg. And it was about 89, a year before I got in the business. But he was just starting. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's the natural. And I went over and I was like, are you the natural? He's like, no, go away. Leave me alone. <laughs> wow
0: well, I don't like
3: marks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's great. That I still talk to Dreamer insane. like that. <laughs> <laughs> what? To be like that every day. <laughs> Hey, it's Winnipeg. I have to disguise myself or I get mobbed. You know how it is, Chris.
3: Of course. It's like me in my hotel room. I have to put my shades on because there's, you know, I don't know who's gonna break in or how many ninjas are in the closet waiting for me. That
0: looks and like I one of those be... uh tank tops with the strings that they used to wear like in the 80s.
2: Like,
3: well the best part is, is I'm not off. wearing best part is I'm not wearing pants either.
2: Not <laughs> oh, <a lot. laughs> I have there to be uh, reminded who would be in the Winnipeg Mount Rushmore Hall of Fame, uh and where Don always quotes himself first in the Winnipeg wrestlers hall of fame of Mount Rushmore. It's alphabetical. It's alphabetical.
0: That's why Tommy It's Tommy's 40th anniversary of being the world's biggest Carney, by the way. So just, just so we're clear. So happy anniversary, Carney man, uh, Chris, seriously, uh, 30 years is unbelievable because unlike a contemporary of ours, uh, bulldog, Bob Brown, God rest his soul. Uh, I think of Bob Brown was about your age when you and I were trying to have wrestling matches with him. So what I think is amazing about you, Chris is that to me, you're so much a better, more complete performer than even you were when you were supposedly at the top of your game. I think it's fantastic. I actually just watched uh, your match uh, with uh, the Isaiah kid from a couple weeks ago. And I was like, man, you're bumping your ass off doing all the moves. Like it's like literally nothing's changed. And, And I think that I was listening off air about the Tokyo Dome match. And I think that really is like, I would say that's your greatest moment. I I don't even say match. I just say, because that's the match that to me changed the wrestling business. And that's the match that shocked the world. So I think like we can all get excited about in rings and, tackle drop downs and flips and whatever five star eight star i think that match is the match that changed an entire industry and uh and you were a part of it and you took a pretty big risk i think by doing what you said you'd probably never do which was work somewhere else and it changed the world and i think that that to me if i had to say one thing about your legacy other than how kind you've been to your friends it's that so there you go
3: yeah and and of course donald bag on me later if I don't say that he was the guy that kind of brokered the deal and, and put the idea in See my head. See what I did there? Place. Yeah, there's your, <laughs> there's your put over. Um, he knew it. But, but that really was, uh, you know, once again, it's hard to say this without sounding, you know, egotistical, but it's, I'm not talking from a place of ego. I'm talking from a place of fact. That really did change the business. And another moment is when I signed with AEW, it was the equivalent of, for all the hockey fans listening, when Bobby Hall by Don, when Bobby Hall signed with the WHA in 1972, he was the biggest star in the NHL. And when he left to go to this new upstart league, everybody in the NHL, including my dad, Ted Irvin, got a raise and a big one because they didn't want to lose any other players to the WHA. And that's kind of what happened with me. The day I signed with AEW, everybody in the WWE got a raise. Uh, and, and that finally the guys were making money that they was well, still not what they should get in some cases, but they got a whole lot more than they were getting. And I think if all of those guys really sit down and think about it, they probably all owe me a steak dinner because they all made double what they were getting only because Vince didn't want them to come to AW didn't give a shit about their talent level or what they were doing or who they were, it became a real war at that point, uh, more than there'd ever been. But all this could have been avoided by Vince when you think about it, but he was the one that, that kind of uh, uh, allowed me to go, and now look where we are a year later, where we're kicking their ass. And if there wasn't NXT on a Wednesday, and it's only there to, to, to uh, stop our momentum – Uh, They don't care about their own show. They care only about Stop Your Momentum. We would be getting close to raw ratings uh, uh, on certain nights. And that can't happen in their minds. And it all started with that Tokyo Dome show. So you're right.
1: And, uh, and Don Callis was there. I'm, so, I'm sorry, to tell you. I was just quickly going to say Don Callis was there for that Wrestle Kingdom uh, 12 show. And also Don Callis was there when you celebrated your 25th anniversary at, at the Garden. And it's amazing. I, I was there in attendance that night. And I was I, I kind of felt like your career was almost winding down at that time. And here we are five years later. And I would say probably the last three years have been the best three years of your entire career.
3: Well, it's funny because 2015, that's what you're talking about, and, 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 and Don Lance and Lanny and I were at Madison Square Garden. There was a show on October 3rd, which at that date I claimed was my exact day of the 20 of, of my anniversary. It was a day later, but for marketing purposes, it sounded much better. But um, I was just working house shows in 2015. I did 60 live events, uh, and I wasn't interested in being on TV. And then after that, I decided to do a three-month contract in 2016 to do something at Wrestlemania. I don't even remember. It was supposed to be with Ambrose and they changed it to AJ. But then I hooked up with Kevin Owens and I realized man, this is really fun. This this it kind of reinvigorated my love and creativity. And then in midway through 17 when we had the best sh- uh, story on on Raw by far. And I'm not being a jerk about that. You can go back and watch how entertaining that that story was. And all that garnered us was second match on the card at WrestleMania. Second match. Don will tell you, that's a jobber match. It's either first or last. Those are the two. Maybe semi-main event. We were on second. After having the best show of the year, I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm not doing this again. And I split to do Fozzie when Judas took off. And I, I wasn't interested in going back to wrestling until Don put the idea of, what do you think about working with Kenny Omega and then when I went to New Japan, it was like this whole new world of creativity opened up where I was like, this is what wrestling is supposed to be. There's no scripts. There's no cueing in the camera and what, 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 what the bumps and what the dives are. And sometimes that's bad, but it was real. And that's where it all started coming back to me again. Um, Doing those New Japan shows. I did six matches there, which led into AEW. If there was no AEW, I might not be wrestling right now because I didn't want to deal with the shit anymore. And that's not a bad thing. It's just the way it is there. Either you deal with it or you don't. And I was over it. And now in AEW, it's me getting to be me. And if you say the last three years of my career have been my best, I'll tell you the last year has probably been one of the most fun I've ever had because there's no restrictions. How creative can you be? How, can we do a match revolving around mimosa because orange Cassidy is orange juice and I'm the champagne guy. How can we do this? Let's put it together. And there was no restrictions, no problems, no hassle, no nothing. I drew the worst picture ever of what I wanted to do. I sent it to Tony Khan five minutes later. He's like, let's do it. That's what we do here. We be creative and we, we work towards putting on the best show and everybody in AW's roster gets a chance to make it. Everybody, everybody on this roster, there's nobody here that's just here to be, oh, a dark guy, or this guy is just a developmental guy. No, screw that. You're signed here with the intentions of being a main event player. I don't care if you're 22 or 52. Everybody gets a shot. And that makes such a huge difference to, to the roster and, and to the fans' perception and, and to all of us.
0: Now, Chris, the second match on a show, I think they call that the Lance Storm
3: spot, don't they? <laughs> I've never heard that before in my life.
2: I oh, was waiting for basically ridiculous. now in Don's brain when we hang up the phone, he's gonna say, Did you hear how Jericho equated me getting changing the wrestling business because it was my idea?
0: <laughs> I've already sent out the tweet. <laughs>
1: Do you feel like a big, a big reason for your success? And this is something that Tommy mentioned earlier is being able to not only change your style, but adapting to other people's styles. Like you've been able to do that better than anyone. I think in the history of pro wrestling, Chris.
3: Yeah. I mean, the thing is like when I, when I came back in, in 2016, I remember working with Seth Rollins one night um, and I love working with Seth and Roman and Sammy and, uh, you know, Cesaro and all those guys that work with, and I remember um, he wanted to do like two dives in a row, two topes in a row. And I was like, in my in my mind, I was like, that's stupid. Like I was taught you do one dive, you put it in the right spot and that's it. But times have changed. Now two dives, three dives in a row is just what you do. And I remember that was a transition point for me. I was like, I could be a stick in the mud, old school brother. That's not how we do it. Or I can get my head out of my ass and, and, and work like, these guys that are 15 years younger than me and re- remain relevant. And that's what I did. And that's why that run in WWE was so successful. I didn't want to work with Kane. I didn't want to work with Hunter. I didn't want to work with Sean. I wanted to work with guys that were younger than me because it puts you in a different position. It's the same thing in AW. There will never be a Chris Jericho versus Matt Hardy match. Never, 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 because we've seen that. And if you put it on suddenly, It's just two guys that worked 20 years ago in WWE. That doesn't make any sense. There might be a Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara versus Matt Hardy and uh, you know Darby Allen match. That's exciting to me, but we don't. I never wanted to just okay. Well, like you know the worst match I ever saw. And here's your clickbait: was Saudi Arabia, Triple H and Shawn Michaels versus Kane and Undertaker. That was such a stupid idea in booking. It never should have happened. It should have been Shawn and Hunter versus Roman and Seth and Taker and Kane versus, I don't know, give me two names of guys, Cesaro and freaking you know, uh, 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 Kevin Owens, whatever you want. That's exciting, but it's like, Oh, we'll go out there and we'll just wing it, brother. That doesn't work anymore. That old school mentality doesn't work. So I think it keeps, it's kept me relevant to work with these younger guys and also learn from them. But more importantly, take these styles that they have and put my psychology in there. Like Don mentioned the Isaiah match. I almost said that was one of my favorite matches because it was just last week. And it's as good of a match as I've had in the last three years. It really was. And that was his second ever singles match. Second ever singles match. Wow. My second ever singles match. I was drop kicking Don Callis in the corner uh, and belly to belly suplexing him as a shoot. Cause I was much stronger and tougher than him. This guy's working his second ever singles match on national TV, and we killed it. So that's exciting because I took what he did, put it through the blender of what I do, and suddenly you have a 49 year old guy and a 23 year old kid having a great match. And that's what wrestling's all about.
0: Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation, Channel 156, the Busted Open podcast.